0: someone sent me a photo of a church sign in New South Wales that say come to church this Sunday first, number one, Jesus is awesome awesome, and number two we have toilet paper (laughs) 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 but the church is running out of toilet paper I think Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 on the sixth day of creation God said, let us make mankind in our own image. Let us make mankind in our own image. Now, since God is eternal spirit, being made in God's image cannot be physical. God doesn't make us look like Him. In the physical sense. It has to do with the immaterial part of us, isn't it? Because God is eternal spirit. And the root word for image is to carve out. So God was saying, let us, please remember it's plural, because it's Trinity. Let us carve out man, let us shape man to our image, literally. In other words, let's replicate ourselves in man. Let's shape Him and form Him to be reflective of us. But the question is, what, is the, what image means then? If it's not physical, you don't look like God physically, what does that mean Primarily. I believe that primarily that means man was created for interpersonal relationships. The Trinity was always a Trinity, is always a Trinity, and will always be a Trinity. God by nature exists in fellowship and relationship within the Trinity. That's why it's plural, let us make mankind in our image. And when you talk about man created in the image of God and what makes up relationship, you talk about self-consciousness which only man possesses. Man has the capacity to understand himself. He has the capacity to think abstractly because that's necessary in relationship. To appreciate beauty, to feel emotion, to be morally conscious, to reason, to acquire wisdom, and all of that is what God made us in His image. And so, if I were to define what does it mean when God created us in His image, it can sum up with the words personal relationship. Man is made with a capacity to love, to love others, and to love God. And within the framework of that love, there is fellowship, there's care, there's sharing of thoughts and attitudes and experiences that makes love the richest of all human experiences. And so in short, the image of God then is the capacity for personal relationships which come down to giving and receiving love. So I may want to conclude by saying that we, each one of us here then, reflect God's image the most when we live in a fantastic, healthy relationship. We reflect God's image the most, the greatest, when we, individually and corporately as a church, we are in good, healthy relationship. And that leads me to this topic today on uh, love. Uh, we talk about many things about discipleship, and today our topic is discipleship and love. We desperately need to redeem this word because this word has severely been damaged, misused, and abused in our society. It practically means you do whatever you want, you cannot tell people that they cannot do certain things. It means if you say that it is no, it means it is not loving. We desperately need to redeem this word. Based on the scripture. So we reflect God's image the greatest, the most, if we are living in a very good, healthy relationship. Let me just want I want to read to you a long text from 1 John chapter 4 and then 1 John chapter 2. And I want to unpack very quickly as time is running out very quickly on 1 Corinthians 13, which we are all very familiar with. And I want to give you three points from that text. But I want to read from uh, one John four first, simply because the origin of love comes from God. Let me just read one John chapter four. They say, "Dear friends, if you th- if you know John, John emphasised two things: truth and love, truth and love, light and darkness. It's very clear in John Gospel and one, two, three. John is always emphasis is truth and love." because he wants to redeem this, because increasingly love is just emotion. But love in the Bible is all action. And that is why in 1 Corinthians 13, is all about verbs. It's all action, not just feeling. Action, verbs. Eleven verbs there that tells us what love is. He said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. And knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and action word. God showed His love. How? He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God but that He loved us. And we have sinned and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. The source of love is God. Whoever claims to love God, now this is very important, whoever claims to love God and yet yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love also love their brother and sister. Now that requires many, many sermons to expound those beautiful words. And let me move to uh, 1 John chapter 2. It says, anyone, again, you see John talk about light. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. And he walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And a famous verse in uh, John chapter 13 on the farewell discourse, the final night of Jesus uh, on earth before the next day uh, right through morning betrayed and crucified and all that during the communion time final in the upper room fail discourse you can read about that in 13, 14, 15, 16 17 chapters of John gospel five chapters in one over the next few hours and uh, John chapter 13 uh, Jesus says this famous words isn't it he said a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And what will happen if you do that? He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, I give you this new command, love one another. Not just only love one, it's as I have loved you. That means our standard comes from God, isn't it? Our standard of love should be God's standard. So high. So high up. Remember an uh, Ephesians where, where Paul talks about family. He said, uh, husband loves your wives. Did he stop there? He didn't stop there. He added another sentence there because the standard is from God. Husband loves your wife just as Christ loves the church. So our standard is so high. Christ loves the love? How does Christ love the church? He died. He gave his life. And man's love for a wife ought to be that high standard. Not whoever standard that gives to you, but Christ's standard. And here Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Nobody will know that you are Christian or disciples because your great programs or whatever things you do is by your love. That God, men will see. Francis Schaefer, many years ago, in a very profound author. Uh, he said this. He said, oh, I must have said the wrong way." He said, "Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful." Christian community is the final apologetic. Christian community is the final apologetic because words speak louder than words. You can argue on the existence of God, cosmological argument, the ontological argument, the moral argument of God, and all the kind of argument you can come up with. But the final apologetic is a strong Christian community. That is the final apologetic. And the world will always use that as a criteria to judge whether or not our message is truthful, period. You can say whatever you want. So the credibility of the gospel is often at stake in the church community. The final apologetic. So you don't actually need to uh, be eloquent as Ravi Zacharias or John Morland or all kinds of uh, apologies in that sense. Everybody can be an apologist by the way you live your life in love. You don't need to have a degree or master degree or PhD in order to do evangelism. Your life, your love is finally the final most important criteria too, that you need and the capacity to love. And no one can challenge that if you love well. And Jesus even in the context of the Sermon on the Mount talks about loving your enemies and all that and he said so that you may be children of your father, like children of the father in heaven. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. But some of us may be sitting here and say, "Wow, well, we're okay. You know, we don't we don't have really have a lot of enemies and all that." And uh, uh, interestingly, G.K. Chesterton, a very uh, witty author say the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies probably because they are generally the same people. Your husband can become your enemy. Your wives can become your enemy. Your father can become your enemy. Your mother can become your enemy. Your past great best friend, business partner can become your enemy. Relationship evolves. Evolves. And and this is where the challenge come in, isn't it? For us as believers. How serious are we in taking God's word? Are we going to let by emotions or are we really going to let by asking God to empower us to do what needs to be done. And this is what uh, uh, Hendon Robinson, an author of a book called Biblical Preaching, has become a, almost like a text for all uh, preaching kind of things. He, he says this. He said, Love is that thing which if a church has it, it doesn't really meet, need much else. And if it doesn't have it, Whatever else it has doesn't really matter very much at all. Love is that thing which if a church has it, it doesn't really need much else. And if it doesn't have it, whatever else it has doesn't really matter very much. Whether it is nice building, it means absolutely nothing at all if love doesn't exist in this building. Many people have very beautiful house in Turek, South Yara, or whatever beautiful, expensive suburb. Beautiful house. But broken families. Plenty of them. flooded of it. It's a house, it's not a home. And church can become like this, isn't it? Where love doesn't exist in the church, you have all these programs, you got Alpha, you got K,YB, you got Ling, you have all bows and all kinds of programs that we have. If love is not in that church, what's the point? And that is precisely what Paul went on to talk about in 1 Corinthians 13. because the Corinthian church is plagued with all these. They're a very gifted church and then they use their gifts in excessive until they, the love no longer exists. And Paul, as he was writing this this letter to address the problem in the church, and he has to pause for a moment. He talks about all this body, different parts of the body, and then he just paused. He didn't just take a break and say, oh, they're probably tired of all this. Oh, what I'm saying now, I'm going to have a couple, and then I'll just write a, 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 a passage on love. You It's know? in the context of all these struggles. He said, no, no, you don't get it. Church is about the fundamental thing that needs to hold the church together is love, experiencing God's love and manifesting that love in that community. And so let me just move on very quickly to 1 Corinthians 13 with little time that I have. First and foremost, I want to give you three points. Love is essential. Love is essential. The frightening thoughts of these next three verses is amazing. The frightening thought The possibility that we could exercise gifts and ministries without love. We can worship without love. We can ministry without love. We can even sacrifice without love. It's frightening. And therefore, Paul is saying love is so essential in our Christian community. He went on to say, He said, so what? He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Worship without love. He said, so what? And he said, ministry without love. If I have to give a prophecy, and you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am (laughs) nothing.'" He says, so what? And the most shocking one is verse 3. You can even sacrifice without love. If I give all I possess to the poor, and you can give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And Paul is basically saying love is essential. He says, so what? So what? If you have all these things and yet love is not exi- doesn't exist in those ministries, doesn't exist in worship, doesn't exist in your sacrifice. Your sacrifice, whether it's to whatever thing, that itself is an idol maybe that's propelling you, moving down forward that pathway rather than acting flow out of the love of God in your heart. Many things we do. Is it possible to sacrifice something not out of love? Maybe that itself it become an idol. That become your goal. You know, some of us we can be consumed with the things that we want to do. That we are so focused on doing it and getting it done and making it happen. And that become our idol, rather than checking the motives that flow out of your actions. And that is love so it is possible. And so love is so essential. Basically, Paul is saying, while love is so essential in a community, it is possible, the frightening possibility that we could even exercise gifts and ministries without love, that I can be a pastor, continue to plow on another 10, 20 years, but my action is simply just to get paid or something like that, just to get my mortgage or whatever going, in a sense, become a job, rather than the motivation is actually love. And each time I have to go back to God and, and ask again and again to find that love again, to press on for ministry. And most people give up is because the love already runs dry. They burn out emotionally. And therefore, for me, I always conserve myself emotionally. You have to pick the battle; You don't fight every better. And so love is essential. Paul is saying love is essential in the Christian community. Without it, we are nothing. This new building, wonderful program, is not going to mean anything if love is not in our midst. And then Paul went on to to, uh, verse 4 to 7, comprehensively spell out what love is. Love is effectual. Love is successful in producing a desired or intended result. And as you survey through 1 Corinthians 13, over the next few verses, uh, I'm struck by the complete absence of any stress on personal feelings. The kind of love Paul is talking about is seen and experienced and demonstrated. Well, it may start in a a feeling of compassion or pity. It never ends there. It is verbs. They are all filled with verbs. It's all action. Because love is all about action, about demonstration and all that. Martin lloyd said, Love is not just a sentiment. Love is a great controlling passion. And it always expresses itself in terms of obedience. Love is not just a sentiment. Love is a great controlling passion. And it always expresses itself in terms of obedience. Feeling it can be an indicator, but it cannot be a navigator. I said many times before, motion creates emotion. You wait for emotion to create motion, you're in trouble. There are many, many things you won't do in life. Motion always creates emotion. When we put into place, put into action, do what we need to do, the emotions will come in. And that is what love is. It's not emotion. It's not sentiment. It's a great controlling passion. And it always expresses itself in terms of obedience. Do it. Do it. The doing will produce the feeling. And here, comprehensively, he goes on and expound on what love is. We don't actually have lots of time to go through uh, about 11 qualities that is mentioned here, but just a brief mention of it, and then I'll come to the end part of it, which is love is eternal. We have to emphasize on thing that is eternal, not temporal. And here it says this, Love is patient. We all know that. We go We wedding. Wedding people love to pick this passage even though it's in the context of church conflict. Uh, uh, Love is patient. Love is kind. uh, Love is, it does not envy. It does not boast. And let me just briefly go through. Love is patient. The King James Version simply says, Love, long suffering, isn't it? It is never tired of waiting waiting is probably the most difficult exercise that anyone can do but patient means you're never tired of waiting it's not a passive type of waiting but a very like Simeon for example waiting for it's not a passive waiting he knows it will come this messiah will come it's a, it's, a, it's a very active type of waiting it's not passive type of waiting uh, it's very active What is Simeon where is uh, um uh, Jewish people waiting for the Messiah and it is never tired of waiting. Love is slow to give in to resentment, slow to give in to despair or anger and of course this context Paul uses is to have patience with difficult people rather than having patience in difficult circumstances one of the uh, early biblical scholars said that it was the word that is used of one who is wrong and who has the power to take revenge but who will never do it. Patience describes those who are slow to anger. So love is patient, long-suffering. Love is kind. The word kind simply means sweet usefulness. You're useful to others. That is the meaning of kind. Love is conscious of using itself on others. Love is useful to other people. When you're kind, you're useful to other people. A kind person is disposed to be helpful. He seeks out needs. He seeks out needs. And he looks for opportunity to meet those needs without repayment. Mark Twain call kindness a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. And I think he was absolutely right. Everyone can understand the language of love. I have a friend who grew up in uh, Cameron Highland in, in Malaysia, a tea plantation area, and uh, her parents were both dumb. And I often wonder, how do you raise children when you, are, you can't talk? And she turns out to be a fantastic lady. She's a missionary in Philippines in a mission school t- teaching, using her skills as a teaching uh, missionary children up on the, for missionary kids. Fantastic. No need words sometimes. sometime we should talk less and do more. Let our lives speak rather than talk so much. William Barclay said, More people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And I dare add to say, most people have been driven away from the church because of the ugliness of some Christians rather than the the fact that they don't understand Trinity or they don't understand the canonic theory of how God can be both fully God and fully man. I mean, how many of us turn away because of that kindness love is kind it's useful to others when I was 13 years old I was selling biscuit to uh, to survive my education and all that because my family was very poor and I remember selling a packet of biscuit it cost $3.20 and I get 40% for commission I remember knocking how in Singapore they live in flat. We just need to go flat and knock at the door and just sell biscuit. Just sell biscuit. And remember, there's this man who said, "Oh, say you wait, okay?" And he went to the room and he bring out his son, and said, "And he says, son, look at this boy. He's about your age. He has to work to support his education. So he used me as like a a a a model to teach his son." And then, ended up, he gave me $10. And he said, I don't want your biscuit. You can keep the $10. So I got, I almost like uh, uh, sold for how many packets, you know? Of $10, one packet, 40 cents. I told more than 20, 30 packets in the sense. But till today, I remember the kindness the man showed to me. Kindness. People remember your Kindness. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. This is the sin of those who think others have too much and they have too little. We envy others, we get angry about people having better car, or better house or a better education or whatever we we envy, we start to get angry with them. By contrast, love is generous. It does not barrage others their gifts. How do you respond to the good fortune of others? If they do better than you, if they prosper when you don't, if their family seems happy while yours is torn apart, how will you react? If they achieve what you cannot, if they gain what you lack, if they win where you lose, then the truth will come out. Can you lose gracefully? Can you walk away from the contest without bitterness, it does not envy. Oh, good on you. You never get bitter in a sense. You never blame God. Love does not boast, it does not brag. It has no exalted opinion of itself, it is not eager to gain the applause of others. And the word boast means something like win back. It is within the idea of a person who must continually talk about himself in order to impress others. Have you heard about a story about a turtle who wanted to spend the winter in, in Florida? But he knew he could n- never be able to walk that far. So he convinced a couple of geese to help him, each taking the end of a piece of rope while he clamped his, his vise like jaws in the center. And the flight went fine until someone on the ground looked up in admiration and asked, Who who in the world thought of that? And I'm able to resist the chance to take credit. The turtle opened his mouth and said, I did! (laughs) And then he's finished. You know, sometimes it's a good idea to keep your mouth shut. So, love does not boast. It is not proud. The King James Versions put proud as not puff up. That means love does not have an inflated opinion of itself. It is not filled with hot air. Love is not an egotistical blowhard. Love is not a big hater, but big hearted. This means the more loving you become, the less boasting you need to do. No, I cannot. Continue. Uh, There's just too many. It does not dishonor others. It is not rude. The King James Version says love does not behave itself unseemly. This covers a lot of territory, plenty, rude. It means that love is not ill mannered. It does nothing of which it will be ashamed later. Love is true courtesy. It is polite, considerate, and careful for the needs and feelings of others. Love is quick to make others feel at ease. Love has good manners. Someone said it is better to keep your mouth shut and let people think that you are a fool than open your mouth and confirm it. Love is not self seeking, it's not about my way or no way. Love says, let's do it Jesus' way. Love serves and doesn't worry about who gets the credit. Someone said we can contribute more to the kingdom of God if we don't mind who gets the credit. There's only one church, many congregations, that's all. So many pastors fight over these kind of things unnecessarily. Well, there's only one church, but many congregations, not many churches here in this part of the world. Love is not easily angered. The Greek word means to sharpen, stimulate, rouse to anger. And another person said it is not touchy. Love does not have a hair trigger temper. You know, so many people live at home, they, they almost like, have to walk on eggshell. Any little, little bit thing, it will boom! The, the minds will go off. And some people use their temper to intimidate and to punish. And you confront them, they say, well, I have a bad temper, but I get it out, ah, and it's all over in a few minutes, and then I'll be back to normal. Well, so is a bomb. But look at the devastation it leaves behind. They say anger is only one letter short of danger. So love is not given to emotional outbursts. Is not exasperated by petty annoyances and refuses to let someone else get under one's skin. I must go on. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Some people have elephant memories. They, when they quarrel, they become historical, not hysterical. They quote something that a person done 20 years ago. King James Version says, It stinketh no evil. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Do you delight in evil? Do you delight in someone false? One Christian, don't we love to hear God say, oh, you know, I knew it. He will go down this pathway. He will fall. He will... We almost like rejoices in someone's fall. You should feel sad. You should weep over it. And not rejoice over it. True love must have bad memory. A little bit of Alzheimer's is good. Love does not delight in evil. Love is never glad to hear bad news about another person. Love never says, well, they finally got what they deserve. Love is never happy to hear about a brother or sister fell into sin. Love does not enjoy passing along bad news. Love rejoices with the truth. Rejoice with the truth. Rejoice when the verdict is not guilty. Oh, well, how can we live this way? It's almost impossible, isn't it? By your own power, it is almost impossible. We can't. We can't. And we need to be honest with God. Sometimes it's good to be honest with God and say, God, I hate my husband. I hate my wife. I can't stand my children. My parents are driving me nuts. I hate the people I work with, and I don't like the folks at church. I don't love my neighbors, and I can barely stand to see my own family. Oh, God, help me, please. I don't know. I don't love anyone right now. And even though no one else knows or sees it, I'm an angry person filled with bad thoughts and completely lacking in any kind of love. If you don't help me, Lord, I will never love anyone because I know I can't change the way I am. Lord, please help me, change me. Let your love flow through me. If you want me to love others, you're going to have to do it through me because I can't do it myself. And that is what it means by poverty of spirit. You empty of yourself and say, Lord, oh, I can't do it myself. And that is essentially what Christianity is all about. You, it's not on your own strength, that you need the Holy Spirit and Parliament to do what you need to do. I'll just very quickly uh, finish it off with love is eternal. It says love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will, they will be still." Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. What Paul is saying that because the church was so much emphasizing on this kind of thing that caused so much conflict and and quarrels and fights, and Paul is saying these kind of gifts, they will all pass away at the end of the day. It's like torchlight. When morning comes, you don't need torchlight anymore. So you must excel in those things that will last for eternity and not just temporal gifts. That was what Paul was saying. For we know in part, and, gives, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He said, he gave two examples, isn't it, that where the gifts will pass away. First metaphor, he said, in the same way the childish action ceases when we become adult. Spiritual gifts will cease in the future. And then he gave a second analogy: about looking at yourself in the mirror. For now we see only a reflection, as in a the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part; then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In the same way that looking into a foggy mirror is less effective than looking at someone face to face, spiritual gifts will be set aside as ineffective when we see Christ face to face. And then he went on to say, and now this truth remains faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of this is love that we all know so well. He said, strive for things that will last eternally, not temporal." and even those temporal gifts must be governed by these eternal things of love, then you will function it properly. Or Eugene Peterson in the Message Version says it. but for now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of all, and the best of this is love. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, put it this way. He said, The point of this passage is that the church must be working in the present on the things that will last into God's future. Faith, hope, and love will do this. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge so highly prized in Corinth church will not. They are merely signposts to the future. When you arrive, you no longer need signposts. Love, however, is not just a signpost. It is a foretaste of the ultimate reality. Love is not merely the Christian duty. It is the Christian destiny. So he is saying that excel in something that will last eternally. Not on those things that are temporal. The temporal gifts must be governed by the eternal gift of love. And that is why he went on in chapter 14, verse 1. He went on and said, Follow the way of love. He went on. My time is up. I'm going to close with this. Many of us uh, know uh, Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth Graham. Did you know there's some very interesting things about what was written on Ruth Bell Graham epitaph? Have you ever thought about what you want to appear on your tombstone or your epitaph? Most of people just quote a Bible verse of John 11, I'm the resurrection of the life, and all that. But she has a very interesting, I don't think you can read from here. She simply just says this over here, you can read. End of constructions. Thank you for your patience. That means to say, your entire life of 80 over years her entire is God molding and shaping her and the day she died, her construction complete for the future and I think our Christian life is almost like that too that when we talk about these high virtues of love when we compare it and we substitute the word love with Jesus it's patient Jesus and then you substitute those it's I my name there Glenn is rude Glenn is self-seeking and all that you realize that we are so small but we can draw on the strength of God little by little, allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to mold and shape us in the direction of love. And then I believe everything else that we have in this church will become beautiful because it is driven and motivated by these great virtues of love. Father, we thank you for for these beautiful words in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we, are, we are forever indebted to your love. Uh, we are such a sinful creatures, but your grace came through. You redeem us, you save us, you call us your beloved. Uh, how is that so? Is continuing to baffle us. But we know that when we truly, truly experience your love, know that you love us truly with all of our our sinfulness. When we truly come to that state and accept that you love us, tremendous things can happen within us. Security and all that. So many of us, all of our problems come from the fact that we are not properly loved because our parents are also not properly loved. And our grandparents are also not properly loved. Our great-grandparents are also not properly loved. And as a result, we behave strangely. But when we come to the core of our Christian message to know that you love us, then security can come into our lives. And things begin to change when we truly experience and know that you love us. Thank you, Lord. Help us in our limited ways in our sinful way live for you and allow your Holy Spirit to empower us in this direction because the church means nothing, really nothing. You said in your words, if love is not the driving force in everything we do here, in ministry, in everything, uh, it really means nothing. And we don't want that to happen. We want to this community to thrive and driven by love. That's so that by this, by this, what is this? Loving one another will all men know that we are your disciples. Is we truly love one another. Thank you, Lord. As we close with this song, you are beautiful name. We bless you, Lord. We worship you. Amen. Would you stand as we close uh, this morning's service with uh, this beautiful song, What a Beautiful Name.